0: One important question that may often come to your mind is how secure is my salvation? Or another way to put that, a better way to put that, is how secure are you if you are in Christ? Now part of what makes that question so difficult to answer is that people often go wrong in two different ways. Directions about their security in Christ. On the one hand, there are some who take the idea that you cannot lose your salvation to mean that if you have ever made a profession of faith, then you are for certain going to heaven no matter what you have done or not done from that point on. If someone says they believe in Jesus but show no interest in him at all, Never go to church, never pray, never read the Bible. Nothing in their life seems to have changed as a result of believing in Jesus. Isn't that what James calls dead faith? There's no salvation there. On the other hand, there are some who, despite knowing that anyone who's genuinely saved cannot lose their salvation every time they hear a warning about those who are not genuinely saved, are afraid that the Bible or the pastor is talking about them. Even though they do believe in Jesus and their lives have changed and they are seeking to follow him. They fear that maybe they aren't really in or they won't really make it to heaven in the end. There are probably some in this room right now who, while I was talking about those who think they are saved but aren't really, thought, I bet he's talking about me. And I'm not talking about you. right? If you're the kind of person who seeks to follow Jesus, wants to honor Him, trusts Him, and yet you are afraid that maybe... Something is wrong with you or something is wrong with your faith and so you're afraid you haven't believed enough or something like that. You're precisely not the kind of person I'm talking about. Because typically, people who aren't really saved but think that they are, they're not worried about it. You can't scare them. They're so sure that they're fine no matter what they do or don't do. You can't hardly rattle them. You can't hardly convince them that whatever faith they claim to have is not genuine because it hasn't changed anything about them. There's no evidence of it anywhere in their life. You know, the story of I, you know, got walked the aisle and got baptized when I was, you know, hardly any years old, and that was 60 years ago, and I can't remember the last time I went to church, can't remember the last time I cracked my Bible, can't remember the last time I prayed anything more than, thank you God for this food, but I'm going to heaven. I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure. I would be concerned for you. But, people who do read the Bible, do seek the Lord, do want to honor the Lord, do trust the Lord, who have a vibrant faith, their friends around them know it, still sometimes think, oh no, what if that's me? That makes this really difficult to talk about. Because you are, if that's you, you are precisely the person that a sermon about the security of our salvation in Christ is meant to encourage, but sometimes it ends up discouraging. Two things are true at the same time, then. Everyone who is saved is completely and perfectly secure in Christ forever. And that is really good news. But sometimes we have a hard time benefiting from that good news because we also know that it's true that some who think they are secure are not because they haven't actually come to Christ. It's the existence of that second group that makes some in the first group nervous. But if you're nervous, you're probably not in the second group. Because people in the second group usually don't get nervous about those kinds of things. Now, if that's you, if that's where your struggle is, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you say, man, you hit the nail on the head. Every time I hear a sermon like this, I think, what if that's not me? Every time I hear a warning about people who aren't genuinely saved, I think, what if that is me? I wish I felt secure, I wish I felt comforted by things like these, I just don't. And you're thinking, how did you know I was thinking about it like that? How did you, how did you nail it? It's because I am one. Struggled with that for years, less so uh, in the last, let's say, five to ten years, but something i struggled with mightily for much of my life. So I get it. And as your pastor, I want to help you if that's you. right? I want you to be encouraged and not discouraged. And there's a third group that we haven't talked about yet that we see in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 35. There's a third group we see in John, chapter 6, which is a group that is only interested in Jesus because of the physical or material benefits they think Jesus can give them. Uh, These are uh, the kind of people that um, are drawn to what we call the, the sort of health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. They're offering Jesus not as the one who can forgive your sin and give you eternal life and restore you to fellowship with God, they're the ones offering Jesus to you as the one who can make you rich, the one who can make you happy, the one who can keep you health. There was a group of people seeking Jesus for that kind of reason in John chapter 6. They witnessed one of Jesus' most memorable miracles when he fed the 5,000 out of just five loaves of bread and two fish. And the next day when Jesus was not around, they went trying to figure out where he had gone. They were seeking him. They were pursuing him. And when they found Jesus, he told them quite plainly, the reason you are seeking me is because I fed you the bread. All you want from me is another free lunch. That's all you're after. And so here's what Jesus says, in verse, starting in verse 35, we're going to read down to verse 51. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus begins there. Where we pick up the conversation there, Jesus explains and teaches us how it is that we receive the full satisfaction that Jesus is promising. We have a desire inbuilt in us, to know God, to be in fellowship with God. He created us. We belong to Him. There's something inside of us that is um, empty and hollow or lacking until we come to Him, until we meet Jesus. Before that time, we try to fill it with all kinds of other things. Maybe if I accomplish all this, maybe if I possess all this, maybe if I do this, do that, then maybe my life will feel full, feel complete, and it never does apart from knowing Jesus. That's why he says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Shall not hunger and shall never thirst. Those are two ways of saying the same thing, right? That we'll be satisfied, that we'll be fulfilled, that we will uh, not be chasing other things, other saviors anymore, because we'll, we have found the one true Savior when we come to Christ. So if not hungering anymore and not thirsting anymore are two ways of saying the same thing, so is whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me. Those are also two ways of saying the same thing. When Jesus says, whoever comes to me, he's not talking about a physical motion toward Jesus, there are lots of people who are coming to Jesus in this story in the sense that they are following Him around, seeking Him out, wanting to be physically near Him. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. To truly come to Him means to believe to Him. It is not a physical movement, but a spiritual one. You come to faith in Christ. You come to entrust yourself to Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And he tells the crowd there, standing around him in verse 36, that that's not them. He says, you do not believe. You've seen me, I'm right here, and yet you don't believe. It is possible to come to church, to walk an aisle, to benefit from being around Jesus' followers, and to not come to Him yourself. Hanging out around Jesus or Jesus' people is not enough. You have to believe in him. You have to entrust yourself to him. Why haven't these done that? Why haven't these believed? Notice what Jesus says in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, this verse plums the depths in just a few words of some deep mysteries. Notice what he says in the first part of that verse. All that the Father gives to me. What is that talking about? We can see when someone comes to Jesus, when someone believes in Jesus, when someone says, I I have been broken by my sin, I I recognize my need for a Savior, I am coming to Jesus, I'm trusting Jesus, I want Him to save me, I want to follow Him for the rest of my life. We can see that part. What Jesus is saying is, behind that, there's something else we don't see. And that is the work of, of the Father in giving that person to the Son, to Jesus. Behind every conversion, behind every person coming to faith in Christ, is God doing something first, handing that person over to Jesus. Now, we wouldn't know about that unless Jesus told us about that. We can't see that happening. But here's why knowing that is good news. Why it's encouraging. Why it's comforting. If we don't know about this, then what we might be tempted to to believe, is that our saving relationship with Jesus is ultimately contingent upon us, upon the strength or constancy of our faith or our spiritual maturity or whatever. And we think it hangs on us, but it doesn't. We do have to believe, we do have to keep believing, that is absolutely true. But what Jesus is telling us is that underneath and behind you coming to faith in Jesus is God doing something first, God doing something for you, God doing something more fundamental. He has given you as a gift to to His Son. Son, this one's mine. I want him to be yours. I want you to keep him. And here's what Jesus says. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Sometimes we get gifts that we don't really want. Right? Maybe that's happened to you before. Somebody gives you something and says, that's very sweet, but what am I going to do with this? You know? And we end up giving it away, passing it along, sticking it in a closet, whatever. Jesus does not do that with gifts he gets from the Father. Ever. Never, ever. There's never been a single person that the Father has handed to the Son and the Son said, that one? Really? (laughs) I didn't ask for that. That one wasn't on my wish list. No. The Son receives with love every gift the Father gives Him in love and so Jesus says, I never return the gifts I get from the Father. I never take them back. I never cast them out. I never get rid of them. I keep them. Every single one of them. And here's why. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I'm here to do what the Father wants me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And here's what He wants me to do. Verse 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. My whole mission, Jesus says is to do what the Father sent me to do. And here's one of the things He sent me to do. He gave me a people as a gift, and my job is to make sure that I don't lose a single one of them. To preserve and protect them all, so that on the last day, every single one of them will be raised from the dead. That's my job. That's what I'm here to do. He says it a little more fully in verse 40, just in case we missed it. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Everyone who believes, everyone who looks at Jesus and says, I believe you, I trust you, would you save me? I'm a wreck, I'm a mess, whatever, I I need you. Every single one who does that. Every single one the Father gives to the Son. Every single one of those gets eternal life and Jesus promises that every single one He will raise on the last day. So, How likely is it that anyone who believes in Jesus will not ultimately receive eternal life or will not be resurrected on the last day? How likely is that? It's as likely as the Son failing to fulfill the Father's will. In other words, it's impossible. Can't happen. Won't happen. Now, the people that Jesus is talking to don't like what they're hearing. Which I don't understand, because this is really good news. But they're still stuck on what Jesus said a few lines earlier. Verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They want bread from Jesus, but they don't believe that Jesus is the heavenly bread. Okay, so here's another place where we can sort of test ourselves, right? Because I know there's probably some of you who you're thinking like, but what if I, what if I don't? I mean, I think I believe, but what if I don't really believe? What if my faith is not strong enough? What if I'm not one of those he's talking about? What if, I, what if I'm this? What if I'm that? You know, all these excuses running through your head why this shouldn't apply to you. But notice the people in the story who this doesn't apply to. What are they thinking about? They don't really believe Jesus is who he says he is. Now, if you're here and you say, I don't think Jesus is the Son of God. I don't think Jesus came down from heaven. I don't think Jesus is God. I think he's just a good man. Okay, well then you are in this group. Uh, To believe and be saved, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. These people don't believe that. They think he's claiming way too much. They think he could do some good things for them. And there are plenty of people like that. You know, I think if I do some of the things that Jesus said and occasionally go to church and, you know, pray every once in a while, I think that'll make me a better person. I'll probably have a better life. I'll probably make more money and have more friends and be more comfortable. Well, you can do that if you want. There's no salvation there. That's what these people are trying to do. They're grumbling about Jesus. They don't think he actually came down from heaven. They don't think he's the son of God. They think they know who Jesus is. It's like we, we know Mary and Joseph. But how is Jesus claiming he came down from heaven? We know where he came from. They don't know where he came from. They think they do. They evidently either don't know or don't believe the story of the virgin birth. They don't know or don't believe that Jesus was not born of a union between Joseph and Mary, but of the special work of the Holy Spirit so that Mary conceived and bore the Son of God become man. They don't believe that. So they don't believe He came from Heaven. So it would make sense that they wouldn't believe that He could give them eternal life. They think He's just a man like them who can do some neat stuff Somebody kind of like Moses. But not the son of God, not the savior. And so Jesus explains why that's where they land. Verse 43 and 44. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Well, that's taking the same truth from a different angle, right? On the one hand, Jesus says, all the Father gives me will come to me. And I'll raise him up on the last day. On the other hand, Jesus says, you can't even come to me unless the Father draws you. What does that mean? Well, it means that none of us are inclined to believe in Jesus on our own. None of us are going to turn from our sin and trust in Christ unless God does something miraculous for us and in us to bring us to Jesus. Now, in some people's lives, it looks really dramatic and supernatural. In some people's lives, it looks really ordinary. In some people's lives, it looks like I grew up in church, I grew up in a Christian family, I had the Bible read to me all the time, and I prayed and you know honestly I'm not even sure if I can remember a time where I didn't know about Jesus I'm not even sure I know of a time where I didn't believe in Jesus it was just always there and then there are people who didn't grow up in Christian families didn't grow up in church didn't grow up reading the Bible never met Jesus never would have dreamed they would end up being Christians and they are just as surprised as everybody else they ended up a Christian came out of nowhere how do we explain either one of those stories? Is the reason the kid who grew up in church and has just kind of believed in Jesus as long as they can remember, are they saved because they have awesome parents? No. We know better. We might think like that sometimes when we say it out loud, we know better. That can't be it. What about the person who got saved out of nowhere? Did they just have some sort of like, you know, spiritual inclination buried deep down inside them that finally got uncovered by some traumatic event? What is it that explains both of those stories? The Father drew them. The Father save them. The Father gave them to the Son. Now, we don't have to understand how all this works. It is mysterious. We are, after all, talking about God, right? But here's the comforting part of it: Your salvation, even though you have to believe in Jesus to be saved, your salvation does not ultimately hinge on you. Your salvation, if you plumb the depths of it, the foundation of it is the grace and mercy and love of God. That's Paul's point in Ephesians 1 when he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What he's not doing there is throwing something on our shoulders that he wants us to try to explain that is beyond our comprehension. Chose me, why? Chose me, but not that person, why? I, I don't know. That's not, that's not why Paul says that. Try to get us to figure that out. The reason why he says that is to take a burden off of our shoulders to say, hey, look, you believe in Jesus, that's good. Guess why you believe in Jesus? Because God was at work for your good before you even knew God existed or cared about you at all. He loved you not only before you were born. He loved you before the foundation of the world. He's been at work for your good from the beginning. Jonah was right. He got swallowed by that fish and had some time to think, reflect on his life, figure some stuff out. And at the end of his prayer, in Jonah chapter 2, he says, Salvation is belongs to the Lord. That's Jesus' point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is the author of our salvation. Augustine, who's one of the great Bible teachers from the history of the church, says this about this truth that we're reading in John 6. He says, Whom God draws and whom he does not draw, why he draws one and does not draw another, do not desire to judge if you do not wish to err. But accept and understand, if you are not yet drawn, then pray you may be drawn. In other words, don't try to explain this. Don't try to say, well, of course he didn't draw so-and-so. Of course he drew me. No, no, watch watch yourself. If you are not yet drawn and you think, well, what am I supposed to do? I I can't come to Jesus, I can't believe in Jesus if God doesn't draw me, what am I supposed to do about that? Pray that God draws you. Pray that God opens your eyes. No one's stopping you from believing. How do you know God's not drawing you? Believe and find out. Then when you believe, give thanks to God for drawing you. I mean, you're here, you're listening to this, you have no idea what God may be up to in your life. Don't let this be a stumbling block, let this be an encouragement to you. Now, Jesus goes on to say... um, Further, That this is God's work. Salvation is God's work. That's why he quotes this passage, verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. He's referring probably to Isaiah 54 or Jeremiah 31, both of which are passages about the new covenant, how God is going to save his people. The emphasis in both passages is that God is the one who teaches. God is the one who saves. God is the one who makes new. Now, if you hear all that and think, well, this is way more complicated than I thought it was supposed to be. I thought it was just everyone who believes is saved. I mean, you're adding all this, you know, drawn, not drawn. What about, okay, well, that's still true, right? Verse 47 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's still true. Jesus is not denying that. He's not overcomplicating that. He's just saying behind that there's something greater, stronger, more sure, more certain. And that is the work of God on your behalf to bring you to salvation. So just believe. Just believe. And know that. That if your faith doesn't feel as strong as you think it should, you have all kinds of questions and doubts and you feel weak and and whatnot, remember that behind your believing, weak as it might feel, are the hands of Almighty God and the hand of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why later Jesus is going to say in John chapter 10, everyone who believes, everyone who comes to me, all of my sheep, they're in my hand. And they're in the Father's hand. And no one is going to be able to snatch them out of my hand. You are safe. You are secure. Held by the hands of Almighty God. And how does this salvation come to pass? This is what Jesus says here at the end. He says verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That manna you're chasing, that That next meal you're chasing, guess what? I mean, it might give you another day. But it's not going to give you eternal life. The same folks that that, ate that bread you're talking about back in the wilderness, they all died. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, the way this happens, Jesus is going to die on the cross He's going to give his body, his flesh, his life, so that we might live. But it's not an automatic thing, like Jesus died on the cross, therefore everybody gets to be saved. You have to participate. You have to partake. You have to come to him. That's why Jesus said, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, you have to partake of my sacrifice. You have to embrace me. You have to come to me by faith. You have to trust me. But the good news is that if you do, if you come to me, if you trust me, I will never, ever cast you out. I will never say, no thanks, not that one. I will never say, this one has done its time. I'm ready to be rid of this one. It's driving me crazy. We feel that way sometimes. We're afraid Jesus might feel that way sometimes. But he's promised us he will never, ever cast us out. Let's pray.